Bible say it. Amen. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Uh, someone needs to be praying. Someone needs to be praying to be an apprentice, uh, to be a Timothy to a Paul uh, for Brother Bounds. Uh, there's going to come a day when he's not going to be able to travel like that. And he's going to need to, he's going to need to train somebody to take that and go with it. Am I right, brother Ben? And, uh, and, and you say, well, somebody needs to do that. That Somebody might be you. That's how this works. That's how this works. People out of the local church. All right. All you 54 year olds in here. Amen. Let's say that boy, that got, that got quiet real quick. Preacher. Amen. Amen. Listen, God may be calling you. God may be calling you. You know, everybody can't go. Everybody can't go. There's goers and there's senders. There's goers and there's senders. Uh, we need both in this place. We need both at Fairview. We need people willing to go and people willing to sin. And all God's people say it. If you grab your little booklet, if you grab your little booklet real quick, I want to go over the, the, the last page, the very, very last page, uh, and describe uh, what we do to be able to make sure that Brother Ben can stay on the mission field. Uh, we do two things. We do two things in our missions department. Uh, we do what's called faith promise giving. Faith promise giving. Say that with me. Each week we believe God for what each week that he will give us to give to missions. Uh, we make a commitment of that every single year and say, uh, this year I'm going to give $5 a week every single week. By the end of the year, you've given $260. Uh, $10 is 520 $20 is $1,040, so on and so on. But you're praying this week, God, what do you want me to do every single week for missions? Every single week for missions. Now, what do we do with that? If you will look at the top of that booklet, if you'll look at the top of that booklet, you'll see all of our missionaries. You'll see all of our missionaries. That's how we take care of our missionaries, through our faith promise giving each week. If that makes sense, say amen. That's how we take care of them. That's how we keep them on the field. That's how we uh, send them and get more missionaries. And, and we do all of that, all of that, through our faith promise, weekly giving. And I want you to be praying. I want you to be praying between now and next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to make that commitment. We'll take this little little tab right here and we'll write in what God has said that he wants us to give, that he will supply. God won't tell you to give it if he's not planning on supplying it for you to give. Amen. And so be praying about that and then be praying for our one-time project. We do that every year. We raise an offering for a project to plant churches in places where there are no churches. And uh, this coming Sunday is the day, October the 2nd. And so I want you to be praying, God, what do you want me to give on this day? What do you want me to give on this day? You say, preacher, how much should I give? Whatever he tells you, whatever he tells you, you be obedient to him. You pray and say, God, what would you have me to do to make sure that we can plant churches where there are no churches? If that makes sense, say amen. amen. So there's two things. God, what do you want me to do every week? And God, what do you want me to do next week? Say that with me. What do you want me to do every week? And God, what do you want me to do next week? Okay. All right. Now, now, with that being said, with that being said, uh, I, I have been praying, I've been praying and asking God 
uh, really, what, what do you want me to do this week as far as the word when it comes to missions, a missions emphasis? And uh, I, I went to several different passages of scripture Wednesday night. We were uh, on this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And we talked about the darkness that we're living in. We talk about the, the culture that we're living in and how it's getting darker and darker. But in the darkness, the light can shine. God didn't create us to stay in the house. He did not create us to stay in this building. He expects us to let our light shine. Say amen. But today, it's going to be a little more somber tone. Uh, I, I was really wanting to go a certain direction in this chapter and several things, and we might be able to uh, do some more of it next week. Uh, but the question is why? Why are we doing this? Why even worry? Why even worry about the people overseas? Why even worry about missions at all? Why do we sacrifice and give? We could be, we could do this or we could do that or we could, uh, uh, we could buy more stuff for our own household. Why, why are we doing this? Why are we going out and sharing our faith? Why are we even worrying about getting in somebody else's business? Why do we initiate or engage people with the gospel? Why do we take time to learn the scriptures? Why do we, why do we take time to go and knock on doors and invite people? Why do we go and challenge people and say, Hey, do you have a story? Do you know Christ as your savior? Why are we doing all this? What's the point? Why? Well, the question is very simple. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9, Paul is explaining his labor. He said, wherefore we labor. Part of Paul's labor is missions work. The biggest majority of his labor was missions work. Taking the gospel to people who did not have it. That whether present or absent, this is talking about with Christ, present with Christ or absent with Christ. While we're here on this earth, we're absent from Christ. When we die, we'll go to be present with Christ. So he said, whether I'm here or whether I'm there, we labor, we work hard, we toil, we sacrifice, we give and we go. Why? That we may be accepted of him. Now the word accepted doesn't mean accepted as far as salvation goes. Paul was already saved. The word means well-pleasing. Say that with me. He said we work so we can please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now read this with me, everybody. The first sentence. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Say it again. Now, everybody at Fairview, let's read it again and let's let's really think about what we're reading. Here we go. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful and thankful for your mercy. I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary. I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful for mercy. I'm so glad that you've seen us in our sinful state. You've seen us in our condemned condition. And you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son, the only begotten son to be crucified, to be betrayed, 
to be butchered on a cross so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm so thankful for salvation. I'm so thankful that you said whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll help me. I pray that you'll help me. This is a somber message. And I pray that you'll help me deliver it in truth. Help me to deliver it with your touch and your spirit and your unction, your anointing. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. and Don't let me forget anything I should. God, I desperately need you right now. I need your strength and your power and your touch. God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You know, we live in a culture and we live in a time where people want to fixate and they want to only see one side of an issue. And many times that creeps into the church and that creeps into uh, religion, if you will, where people want to talk about the love of God and people want to talk about the mercy of God and people want to talk about the grace of God. And man, I love talking about all of those things. But you cannot talk about the love of God without talking about the hate of God. If you love something, you also hate something. If you're for something, that means you have to be against something. A doctor loves health, so he hates sickness. Listen, people in the justice department, they hate injustice, so they love justice. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But we are living in a culture and a society that, that, that totally dismisses the judgment and the wrath of God. But the Bible teaches very clearly about God's wrath. You know, Jerry, Jerry Bridges said this, God's wrath arises from his intense settled hatred of all sin and is the tangible expression of his inflexible determination to punish it. We might say God's wrath is his justice in action, rendering to everyone his just due, which because of our sin is always judgment. He also said this, God, by the very perfection of his moral nature, cannot but be angry at sin, not only because of its destructiveness to humans, but more important because of its assault on his divine majesty. This is not the mere petulance of an offended deity because his commands are not obeyed. It is rather the necessary response of God to uphold his moral authority in his universe. And though God's wrath does not contain the sinful emotions associated with human wrath, it does contain a fierce intensity arising from his settled opposition to sin and his determination to punish it to the utmost. God's wrath is real. God's wrath is real. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, the terror, not the love, not the mercy, not the forgiveness, but the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We go to the foreign soil because of the terror of the Lord. We go to places where it's not hospitable because of the terror of the Lord. We climb mountains and we cross rivers and we go where nobody else will go because of the terror of the Lord. Psalm 711. You'll not read this verse in much social media. God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Hebrews 10, 26. 
For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of, say it with me, of judgment and we shall devour the adversaries. Hebrews 10, 31. Everybody read it with me at Fairview. If you'll help us now, everybody together, let's all read. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The devil has confused people. The devil has deceived people into believing that God is this old man with long white hair and a long white beard, hoping that you're going to act right. And he has suggestions that he hopes you'll go by. But if you don't, it's no big deal. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible teaches that there is a wrath to avoid. There is a wrath to escape. And today I want to give you three things about the wrath of God. Three things that we need to understand and three things we need to remember and be motivated by. Why are we doing this? The wrath of God. Why are we spending, uh, uh, listen, countless hours trying to reach people with the gospel because of the wrath of God? Why do we take offerings and why do we send money to plant churches where there you'll never see them on this side of eternity because of the wrath of God? Number one, number one, we see God's present wrath. We see God's present wrath, the wrath that's already fallen. Say, preacher, where do you find that? In Romans chapter number one. In Romans chapter number one. Verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, here's what I need you to understand with that verse. Romans chapter one is describing the sense and the, the, the condition of humanity. Specifically, specifically how we got into the condition that we are in today. How do we have atheists today? How do we have God deniers today? How do we have people running around saying there is no God? Uh, that is just a religion is just a crutch for weak minded people. How do we get to that point? How did we go from Adam and Eve walking in the garden, having fellowship with God to people today saying there are no gods? There is no God. Well, that we, 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 we see that in Romans chapter number one, man decided to have no acknowledgement of God. It started with an unthankful spirit and an unthankful attitude. I don't, I don't have time to go. I want you to go home and read all of chapter number one. But let me see, let me show you the repercussions from deciding that you don't want to have anything to do with God. Deciding that you don't need God. Deciding that you don't want God in your life. It says it in the very bottom, Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God, in their knowledge. In other words, we don't want God in our life. There was a day that we quoted with pride. We had it on our money. We had it in, in our literature. In God we trust. But there came a day when America decided they didn't want God in the schools. They didn't want God in the courthouse. 
You've seen it with your own eyes. You've seen, uh, you've seen fights and, 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 and all these arguments over and, and these political battles and, and all of these things, court cases to take the Ten Commandments out, to take prayer out of school. What are you saying? I'm saying America has decided they don't want God in their life. And because of this, God says, okay. God says, okay. If that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. And look what he says. The wrath of God is revealed. The word revealed means to be seen, to uncover. Now watch how it's revealed. Watch how it's revealed. Same chapter, verse number 24. This is what happened. You say, you don't want me? You don't want to acknowledge me? You don't want me in your life? So this is what God does. Wherefore, God also gave them up. What does that mean? God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God's wrath is revealed in promiscuity. Promiscuity. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying uh, free sex. Sex with all. If you're not with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Non-married sex, fornication. We went through a sexual revolution in our country where it doesn't matter. We want, we want abortion. We want birth control. We want all of these things so we can just have sex whenever with whoever. It does not matter. It does not matter whether it's in a, in the sanctity of marriage. We just want to do what we want to do with who we want to do it with us. Leave us alone. You know what God says? Okay. And, and this is the thing. We think the promiscuity We think the promiscuity is going to bring the wrath of God. But what we don't even realize, the promiscuity is the wrath of God. He's with, he's taken away his restraint. He's taken away his spiritual influence in our country. And he's letting them do whatever it is they want to do. And because of the sexual revolution of the 60s, you have so many unwed mothers. You have a fracture of the family unit. You have kids raised up in a home with not two parents. And now we're reaping, we're reaping the rewards. We have no idea that all of that was, it wasn't what was going to bring judgment. It was God's judgment. Imagine that. But see, it got worse. The promiscuity is the wrath of God. Then we went to verse number 26. You see, it just continues. It's like a snowball. It didn't stop there. It didn't stay there. You see, when you open Pandora's box and you allow God to refrain from his presence having an effect in our life, it goes from promiscuity. Then Romans 1 26 says, for this cause, God gave them what? Up. Under what? Not uncleanness, not sexual promiscuity, but now it's vile affections. For even their women, he goes to describe what he, he considers vile. Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their heir, which was me. We go from promiscuity to perversion. Complete perversion. A perversion of God's perfect plan. A perversion of what God uh, uh, intended for man and woman to have together. Something that was beautiful. Something that was perfect. Now is being completely perverted. We went from promiscuity to complete perversion. We're seeing things now published in, 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 in the media. Published on TV. Published everywhere. Pushing this agenda down the throats of the American people. And it, it, listen, we are living in a day that our grandfathers would roll over in their grave if they saw what's happening in our country. Sexual revolution to a homosexual revolution. The judgment of God, God withdrawing his influence, God withdrawing his presence, God withdrawing the, 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 the ability to hold back the lust and the unbelievable vile wickedness of humanity. And it's the wrath of God. God says, okay, you don't want me. Watch what you're going to get without me. Unrestrained, wicked, vile debauchery. And we've gone from promiscuity to perversion. But that's not even the worst part. Look what it says. Romans 1 verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to uncleanness, that's promiscuity, God gave them up to vile affections without a doubt. 26 and 27 describes what that is. It's perversion. But then God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient. A reprobate mind. What is a reprobate mind? The word is translated also depraved. But if you really want to get down to the brass tacks, it's a, it's a, it's a mind that cannot function in reality. You see, we've gone from perversion, or excuse me, promiscuity to perversion. And then, isn't it, isn't it crazy? Think about this. Think about this. If, if there was any sense of any kind of sexual innuendo on TV back in the day, it would have been taken off the air. But the darker it gets, the less the promiscuity is seen as bad. Are y'all seeing this? And so now we're in the third stage of the wrath of God on our country. People don't even think, when you talk about somebody shacking up anymore, it's just no big deal. It's no big, there, there are TV shows where the one character slept with everybody on the show and nobody even, it, Christians don't even bat an eye. That's how dark it is right now. And so we've gone from promiscuity to perversion. Now we're at psychosis. Psycho, preacher, that's an awful strong word. Well, let me give you the definition. Let me give you the definition. Psychosis is a mental disorder characteristic by a disconnection from reality. A disconnection from reality. That's, that's Webster's Dictionary. 
I'm not giving you a preacher's idea or a preacher's thought about what this means. Psychosis means a disconnection, a characteristic, a disconnection from reality, a brain that cannot connect with reality. You say, well, preacher, where do you see that? Are you telling me, are you telling me that a man dressed up in a girl's swimsuit that's winning girls matches, that's reality? That is psychosis. He's a man who could not win in the men's division, so he put on a girl's bathing suit, and now he's destroying women's swimming, and you have crazy, psychotic people who are disconnected from reality supporting that garbage. Men who don't know what bathroom to go to, that's not the bad part. The bad part is the people who should stand up and say, this is not right, but you can argue with them till they're blue in the face and their brain is so disconnected from reality, they can't see the forest for the tree. And according to scripture, according to scripture, this is the wrath of God on our nation. God has decided you don't want me. You don't want prayer in schools. You don't want my influence in the courthouse. You don't want my presence in your nation. Well, then I'll give you what you asked for. And God says he gave them up. He gave them over. And listen, all of this stuff we're seeing in our country and in our nation, in our court system and in our schools. We have schools, school teachers. We have school teachers who says, let's not call a child abuser and a child molester a pedophile. Let's call him a minor attracted person. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be, listen, we don't want to be harsh. We don't want to call, let's call him a minor. You tell me that's not a disconnect from reality? I watched, I watched the news this, this past week and I saw, I saw wicked, heinous drag shows and women carrying their babies and holding a baby and putting a dollar bill in a man dressed like a woman at a strip show, a baby. And it's all on video. It cannot be denied. Are you telling me that's not a disconnect from reality? That's the judgment of God. Why do we do what we do? Preacher, you're going to make a lot of people mad. Somebody better. They're not going to like this. Well, guess what? This is not the only wrath that's coming. And it's going to get worse. You see, what we're seeing on national TV is the wrath of God on America. Everything that's happening in the government, everything that's happening, everything is the wrath of God on our nation. That's the present wrath. That's what we're experiencing right now. But number two, you need to write this down. There's a coming wrath. There's a coming wrath. 
It's called the tribulation period. It's called the tribulation period. Preacher, you, you seem angry. I am. I am. When I see what's happening in our nation, I am angry. Listen. God's coming wrath. We see its description. Revelation 6. Revelation 6. This is the way it's described. The kings of the earth. The kings of the earth. That means those in leadership, presidents, prime ministers, dictators. The kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And read it with me. And from the... Read it, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Preacher, what is this? This is a seven-year period where God is going to judge this world. It is a time of plagues. It's a time of war. It's a time of natural disasters. Stars are going to fall out of the sky. Blood is going to be poisoned. Billions of people are going to die. They're going to be persecuted, executed. They're going to be killed by the by the plagues that are going to take place, by the natural disasters that's going to take place. Jesus said, woe unto them. This is going to be a time like no other. Jesus said, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor nor shall ever be. It's going to be seven years. The description, the duration Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That one week in, in prophecy is considered a seven one year period. In other words, a week of years. So seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice to the oblation. This, the, the he is the antichrist. He shall cause the sacrifice to cease and the overspreading of abomination. She shall make it death desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Preacher, what is all that? The Antichrist is going to sign a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. In the midst of the seven years, he's going to break that covenant. He's going to walk into the built temple in Jerusalem. And he's going to say, I am God, worship me. The the book of Daniel and the gospels call it the abomination of desolation. And in this seven-year period, there's going to be great, great devastation. We see the description, the duration, and the devastation. Daniel says this, describing this period of time. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 21, for then shall be great tribulation. Great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. Preacher, what are you saying? The devil's dancing today. 
the devil's crowd is celebrating today. You know, I didn't finish reading in that first point because there were so many uncomfortable people in here. But sooner or later, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to address reality. The Bible says in that day, in that day, go read it. The end of Romans chapter number one. They're not only going to have pleasure in wickedness, but they're going to take pleasure in the people who support it. I had a picture taken. I had a picture taken and and, and it was Governor Cuomo signing a bill that will allow a woman up until the day of birth to abort her baby. And he's standing there grinning, grinning, just so the whole picture's wicked. His, his support staff around him clapping and smiling and laughing. Think about this, grinning, Clapping and smiling over the ability to kill a baby who is just about to be born. The wrath of God is being revealed in our nation. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that after the rapture of the church, it's going to be worse. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You think there's civil wars now? You think there's disagreement? You think we've got a divide in our country now? You wait till the church is taken out of this place. There's a coming wrath. And Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is why we take up offerings. This is why we go. This is why we leave our families and our homes and we go because wrath is coming. There's a present wrath. There's a coming wrath. And sadly, let me give you this and we'll pray. There's an eternal wrath. There's an eternal wrath. Say that with me. There's an eternal wrath. Let's read. Let's read. The Bible says in John 3, 36. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But, read it with me, but the the wrath of God abideth on him. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 5. This know ye, that no whoremonger. Say, what's a whoremonger? That is somebody who is promiscuous. Laying around with everybody and anything. Nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you. I don't care what they say. I don't care what, oh, I'm good with God. Completely living diametrically opposed to his will and his word. Oh, but me and the man upstairs, we've got an understanding. The Bible says, let no man deceive you with vain words because of these things cometh the upon the children of disobedience. Make excuse if you want to. Well, you know, no, I know. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Second Thessalonians 1 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of 
the Lord and from the glory of his power. What's God's eternal wrath? It's eternal separation from his presence. Eternal separation from his presence. Let me, let me help you with this. The wrath that we are experiencing in our nation. The things that you see taking place on national TV that makes you sick to your stomach. I'm telling you, I was watching the news this week and I was watching one one uh, politician, I think in Michigan, said there should be a, a drag queen for every school. Oh, yeah, look it up. And they were showing the videos of drag queens reading stories to children in libraries. I was seeing stuff that was making me sick to my stomach. And you know what that is? That is God withdrawing his influence and his presence in our society. Imagine this. Imagine this. If we're seeing this. If we're seeing it now, now, even though God is doing this and wrath is present in our nation, there still is salt and light and there still are churches and people who love God and who will declare the truth and will stand up for what is right. Now we still have that. But can you imagine being in an environment where there is absolutely no presence of God? No presence of God's love, no presence of God's mercy, no presence of God's comfort, no presence of God's peace forever. Preacher, what is the, what is the eternal, the eternal wrath? It's eternal separation. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he was in agony and suffering and pain? And the worst part of it was when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou you know what happened? For the first time in eternity past, he experienced the separation from his father. That's eternal judgment. But not just separation. But there's going to be eternal suffering. Eternal suffering. Revelation 20 verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be. What's that word? Say it with me. Come on. Shall be day and night forever. And where at? Where at? In the lake of fire. Okay. He said he's getting what he deserves. That's true. So in the lake of fire, there's going to be torment day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. He said, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of the things written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now read this with me, everybody. Read this with me, everybody. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
where they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. I'm done. Everybody look at me. When somebody that's lost dies. Everybody look at me. Look at me. We have to quit saying, well, they rest in peace. They're finally not suffering anymore. No, no, honey, you don't understand. Their suffering has just begun. Why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this? Why would a 54-year-old man decide to leave everything to go to a country and countries and spend the rest of his life where most likely he could have cruised into it because of the terror of the Lord. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Two words I want you to just just get emblazed into your head. The word terror and the word persuade. Don't downplay either one of them. Don't downplay either one of them. Some of y'all are upset about what's happening in our, in our city today or this coming up. Preacher, what about that festival? I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I feel about that festival. I'm not mad at sinners doing what sinners do. I'm upset that not enough saints have spent time out persuading men If you want to be mad at something, you don't need to be mad at sinners for doing what sinners do. Sinners get drunk. Sinners commit fornication and commit adultery and commit vile affections. If you want to be mad at anything, be mad at people who have forgotten the wrath and terror of the Lord and have not spent one single dime or one single minute trying to persuade men to miss the wrath that's coming. If you want to be mad at something, be mad at that. If you want to be upset, be upset at a church in America that has been asleep. Churches in America have turned into community centers. They've turned into, listen, country clubs where we come and we play sports and we have exercise classes and we do everything. And, and when, when it, listen, when, when you are encouraged and invited to share your faith with somebody, you get an argument. Preacher, you should seem so upset today. I am. I sat in a parking lot of a church up north when we were going in in our training centers and teaching and helping and we're trying to start new ones. And I sat in a parking lot while while people were going in to use the gym, the church members, and it was like a country club. And we tried to invite them to learn how to share their faith and they balked at it. A church. It's a country club. We've forgotten that wrath is coming. We've forgotten that wrath is here. 
We've forgotten that wrath is eternal, that people will actually die and go to a devil's hell that's real. It's on fire. We've forgotten it. We want to, we want to take care of each other and minister to each other. It's our four and no more. This is why we're doing it. This is why we give. This is why we go. This is why we serve. This is why we learn how to share our faith. This is why. This is why. If you need any more reason, then you're in the wrong church. I don't, I, 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 there's nothing else I can say. Well, I tell you what, I won't be back. There's plenty of them out there. Go ahead. I don't have time to argue with you. I don't have time to fight with you. We're running out of time. I'll take my offering and go, listen, God took care of this church way before you arrived. Will you pray? Will you say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give? 